Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Where Do We Begin? I'm Jackson. And I'm Harper. And this week we have Brett Rosemary on the podcast, one of the greatest AFL umpires. He has umpired 419 games, which is more than almost every single player has played in the league. Just insane numbers. Uh, insane. And he's umpired eight grand finals and the most finals as an umpire. 44. Finals. Oh, huge, huge. Considering I've never seen Essendon win a final, <laughs> that's a pretty good amount. Um, yeah, so what do you reckon it'll be like? Oh, I, I reckon it'll be very interesting. Hearing from an, an actual current AFL umpire, we'll get a lot of insight, I, I hope at least. Yeah, well, we've never spoken to anyone that's still currently in the AFL system. Just uh, Courtney Dempsey and Hayden Ballantyne. What did you make of the Hayden Ballantyne chat last oh, time? I was a big fan of it. It's, it's, it was very, just very clean to just hear a great story from someone who was a mature age recruit all the way up into making a grand final the club's first grand final it was very informative big fan of it yeah obviously one of the great small forwards maybe of all time yeah it was really good let's hope this one's just as good yeah let's hope let's rip into it Okay, now on the phone, we've got the man they call the West Australian Whistle Wizard, Brett Rosebury. How are you? Oh, g'day, guys. How are you? We're not bad. Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. Can't complain. Yeah, so uh, we're just going to go through from the start of your, your early life, really, to where you're at now and your umpiring career, if that's all good. Yeah, no worries. Go for it. Yeah, so born in 1980 in WA, how was your early life? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Originally from Perth, but obviously now living in Melbourne. But yeah, grew up in Perth, just uh, in the suburbs. Was a very active kid. Actually, started playing uh, soccer. My mum and my dad were involved with soccer. My mum actually played uh, state soccer um, at the highest level. So I sort of grew up in soccer and um, played junior soccer up until really about. Uh, about 13 years of age, and then at that point, I took up AFL footy. Uh, so, yeah, sort of always around sport growing up as a kid and, you know, from little athletics through to soccer, but then ultimately got involved with footy. Why did you switch over to footy? I think it was more just uh, around high, high school age. Uh, all my mates at school were, were playing AFL as opposed to... Uh, Soccer changed schools once, and I think it was one, you know, more of a soccer area versus going into an AFL area. So, yeah, ended up going down the AFL path and just took up school footy and then took up junior club footy. Uh, did you support an AFL club at the time? Yeah. So, so we, at that time, we, me and my mates, we'd always go to the Waffle. So we, I was an East Romandle supporter as a kid. Um, wasn't massive AFL fan at that stage. I guess, you know, being a little bit younger and coming across from from soccer, we sort of had a pretty uh, strong um, support, you know, support for the waffle with the local comps. And and I guess in those days, we used to sort of hang around and watch our senior teams. So I played at the Armour Junior Footy Club um, and, you know, you, you play in the juniors and then you sit around and watch the senior team in the afternoon. So, I sort of was that kind of supporter. Um, obviously, did have an AFL team at some point, but uh, I won't tell you who that is because uh, too many people think you still follow them. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. Who that is. So, yeah, you have to try and work that out. Did you have a big allegiance to a soccer club in your junior days? Uh, I guess as a kid, I followed Man United, but that was just purely because my dad was born in Oldham, which is a town just out of Manchester. So he was a Man United fan. But yeah, no, nothing too crazy in terms of the soccer teams. So you got into umpiring when you were f- around 14, I think. How did you get into that? Yeah, so I was playing junior footy. As I said, I took up junior footy and I was really enjoying that. But I was a bit of a... Uh, you call it smart ass maybe is probably the the best term that people would describe me that knew me was uh, I would run around and pretty much give the umpires feedback all day. Um, <laughs> maybe that was just lack of ability and then I would run around and just be in the umpire's ear all day. Um, and yeah, obviously got frustrated 
after a couple of games and uh, rang the local umpires, the local umpires boss. So I was 13, 13, uh, 13, 14 year old kid, rang the local umpires boss and I uh, said to him, how do I get involved? Because I reckon I can do a better job than you guys. And <laughs> he, <laughs> so pretty brash for a 13 year old kid to ring up uh, the umpires boss in the, in the local area and say that and, he was very uh, supportive. He was like, "Mate, we're always looking for smart asses like yourself. Uh, so come, come on down, come on down, give it a go." And then the following weekend, I umpired an under tens game. So they rolled me straight out there, and I went out there and umpired like an under ten game at eight a.m. in the morning on a Sunday morning. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think I got paid like thirty bucks or something like that. And well, this was not a bad way to earn some money, and I actually enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, umpiring kids that age is pretty difficult but <laughs> I obviously enjoyed it and then uh, that sort of kept my interest and I kept playing uh, and umpiring, so I'd play on a Saturday and umpire on a Sunday or vice versa depending on what age group I was playing at and then I eventually had to make a decision Yeah, so what made you want to pursue the umpiring route? Yeah, so again, I think it was, um, so the the option was to go down to the Waffle. They had like a talent squad back then, it was called, uh, uh, to go into this development umpiring squad and you would uh, go and potentially umpire Waffle Colts footy, so under under 18 footy at the Waffle. Um, and at that stage, I had a couple of mates who had been uh, selected to go and play at Perth, um, Perth, under 18s and South Fremantle under 18s. So I thought, oh, well, it'd be a good way to be able to umpire them. They were going down to uh, play Colts footy and uh, I got invited down to go and umpire. And uh, I remember remember this conversation quite fondly. His name was Derek Ernst, who was the, the umpire's boss. And he, he said, Brett, we wanted to come down, but you have to give up playing footy because you're an idiot on the field and we can't have umpires. <laughs> we can't have umpires like you. Uh, playing footy and behaving the way you play. So, uh, yeah, maybe uh, <laughs> maybe that's why I've enjoyed AFL footy so much. I've been pretty good over the years in terms of copying a bit of heat because maybe I know what it was like when I used to give a bit of heat to the umpires. Now, you started um, umpiring at State League level in the Waffle at 18. Was Did you feel any pressure being such a young umpire in a senior league? Yeah, well, it was... Very, very young to be umpiring senior footy at, at that age. Uh, in record, the apparently, isn't it? I think so. I think, so. There's, I think a record there and still the AFL, I think, think still still hold that as the youngest ever. But, um, yeah, it was... I guess you didn't think too much about it. I just, it was something that I, I thought I enjoyed doing. Um, I guess we were really fortunate back then in those days that we we had a really good development squad like before I got to the senior footy so I, I would have been let's call it 17 16 17 umpiring Colts football so the under 18 but what we would do was that we would go and umpire country footy on the Sunday so you'd umpire in town in Perth on the Saturday your, your Colts game and then you would go to the country and you would you drive two three hundred kilometers to the bush with two or three other umpires and you'd all get dropped off along the way in different towns. So we might go uh, lower southwest or um, upper grade southern, so you might get dropped in towns like um, oh, all the way along and, and one umpire would umpire in one town and, and so on. So we were fortunate that we got to umpire senior footy in the country. So we would go there as the the waffle umpire and umpire with a local umpire, but you're ultimately umpiring men. So I was really young, exposed, umpiring tough country men's football, senior footy. So I think that really helped in, in the development, which ultimately then helped umpiring senior waffle footy. Hey guys, don't forget to follow us on the socials. Twitter and Instagram is at WDWBpod. That's WDWB pod on Facebook. Look us up. Where do we begin with a question mark and get in touch with us through our email. Where do we begin pod at gmail.com and leave us a five star review.
Now, you got into the AFL soon after, uh, appointed during the 2000 season. How did you get into that? Are there scouts out in WA or what's it like? Yeah, so I guess there's, I mean, back 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 then, it was the end of the 99 season, so it umpired the Waffle Grand Final that year. Um, and the process was that depending on how many spots were available on the AFL um, spot for the, for the following year, they would trial a, a set number of guys from around the country. So it would it would potentially be, you know, the, the top umpires that umpired the waffle, the VFL, the sample, they'd all get an opportunity to trial. Now, from memory, I think there was four spots available back in 2000. So there was probably about 10 umpires trialling uh, for those four spots. Um, and obviously just I was the youngest of everyone and probably was picked as, more of an opportunity to, to be given a go as a trial. I, I know that, you know, Rowan Stores, who ultimately was the coach at the time, said they didn't expect me to get on at that point. They gave me the opportunity to just trial because I was so young. Um, and then, obviously, trialled really well. Um, and the process was you do the pre-season, you go to a camp, and then ultimately back then we umpired the Ansett Cup. That's just how old I am, so I used to umpire the Ansett Cup. Uh, and my first game was Geelong and St Kilda at Waverley Park on a Sunday night at 8.10. So it was a, it was a late game for some reason. It was the Ansett Cup and there was pretty much no one there. But, uh, and it was freezing. But, um, and that, I was obviously a young kid from Perth that had flown over for that experience. That was a good experience. And, um, and then, fortunately enough, I got one more game. I think it was back in Perth, and it was West Coast and Port Adelaide. And then um, I was I obviously went really well in both games. And and Rowan, Rowan Saws, you know what I mean, and Jeff Geishan at the time, they, they picked me. And I think they saw it as an opportunity that I was going to develop faster and quicker inside the AFL system as opposed to not being in the AFL system. And, and they took that chance with me. And uh, here we are, 21 years later, still uh, still going. So I think they made a good call. What do you reckon? Yeah, definitely a good call. Uh, did you ever feel much pressure being the youngest AFL umpire? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I, mean, I think the, my first two years, they were pretty, they were pretty supportive. Um, and they didn't throw me too much out in the deep end. Um, they 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 gave me time to find my feet um, because I was actually already selected to go to Ireland with the Australian Under-16 Junior International Rules Team early 2000, but we'd made the call that I wasn't going to umpire AFL footy until after I came back from Ireland. So I went to Ireland, um, I think it was in in late April with the Australian under-16 team and, and the guys that were on that trip were Daniel Kerr, Chris Judd, Kane Corns, Alan Didak. It was like the best junior team probably to ever leave the shores um, and they're all travelling away as 16-year-olds uh, or 17-year-olds prior to getting drafted. So it was good to go on that experience with all those, those kids at the time umpire Australia via Ireland in, in, in that junior grade and then when I came back from Ireland then we put a plan in place that I went back to the Waffle, umpired a bit and then uh, I think it was round 13 when I when I got to make my debut uh, Fremantle and St Kilda at Subiaco Oval Yeah, so obviously that debut in the 2000 season what sort of sacrifices did you have to make um to go from that waffle umpiring level to the AFL umpiring level? Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, you, you think about more of those things now as opposed to, you know, like at the time I just I had a structure in my life or I was training or I, um, you know, just had a, a routine that I was sort of sticking to. And the AFL happened also quick. So I feel like I didn't have to sacrifice you know, really anything. I just was living my life as a young kid and enjoying umpiring what footy, uh, knocking around with my mates and, and that kind of stuff. I guess where you, you know, things you sacrifice are, you know, umpiring Saturday and Sunday, so you're not going out as a as an 18 year old or not 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 partying too hard and all those other things like probably most 18 year olds are when they're 
when they when they get their license or they they get their freedom and so on like that. So um, maybe just stuff like that, or I just was pretty pretty switched on, or I just uh, yeah, I mean, I was working also and, and so on like that. So I, I didn't. Um, yeah, I can think it was just part of the process. I didn't feel like I had to sacrifice too much. I guess more so as you're on the AFL journey and, and the AFL really does consume you and, and, and your time and, and your bit of balance a lot more. Maybe that's when over the years the things you sacrifice, so you miss out on people's weddings, you know, special birthdays or uh, special family events that you just have missed out on just by purely by... Uh, football commitments or, um, yeah, not, not having the right balance or the time in place to be able to make, make everything. Uh, do you have any special memories from that first official AFL game? Yeah, it's a lo- long time ago. Um, not, not too much, to, to be honest. I mean, I can remember the game, the, the time. I can remember... The umpires, like Brian Sheen, who's one of our coaches now, and obviously got to umpire with Brian uh, throughout. So Brian and I quite often still joke, you know, muck around at training and, and laugh about, you know, the first day. Everyone tells me I was super nervous, uh, <laughs> but I, I can't remember too much. Um, I obviously remember my first game, but if you are to ask me who I umpired in my second game, I'd have no idea. So it's funny how you remember your first, but uh, anything after that, not so much. Now, when you're at the AFL level, the pressure is obviously higher. Biggest league, obviously bigger than Waffle. Um, how are you taught to initially deal with fan abuse and stuff like that from the crowd? Yeah, so there's obviously a huge amount of pressure umpiring AFL footy. Obviously the expectation um, from everyone outside. To, to get it right, but then ultimately we put a lot of pressure on ourselves because we set standards. And you know, I mean, there's no umpire that goes out there on the MCG or any ground around Australia that wants to make an error. Unfortunately, it just happens at time to time, human nature. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of pressure, but we we, we put a lot of that on ourselves because we want to do a really good job. You know, I mean, in terms of the, the abuse and the noise that comes over the fence. Um, I guess, you know, at AFL, we're really lucky. I mean, we're, we're mic'd up, so a lot of the noise is sort of blocked up a little bit in our earpieces because it's just crowd noise. Um, and we've got a live feed between the three field umpires out on the ground, so we're so focused inwards on the game um, you really aren't hearing much of the abuse from, you know, it's all just background noise. I guess more so when you walk on and off the ground, um, if fans want to come up and rattle, rattle the cage a little bit or, you know, feel like they want to pop a vessel in their head and come over and give <laughs> you a spray, I mean, you're probably going to hear a little bit more of that or you might see a little bit of it. I mean, I think my personality, I've always just laughed it off a little bit or, I, you know, I, mean, I sort of, I understand it. I mean, like I've, I've watched many a sports or and and you get frustrated at the time and people are invested in different reasons whether uh, they're just passionate for their team or there's so much gambling in sport these days people might have lost money on a certain game and they just take it out on us. Umpires are always the easy person to to abuse and take it out on because we're the neutral neutral person. Um, but yeah, I mean so. The abuse hasn't really worried me, hasn't been too crazy. I mean, 21 years umpiring, I've had one death threat, so that's, that's not too bad, I guess. <laughs> one death threat, but, um, yeah, it's something which is part of it, I guess. So, skipping ahead a few years, 2008, you're, you're an All-Australian umpire, but you miss out on getting picked up for the 2008 Grand Final. How did that... Yeah help you put uh, how much drive did that push push into you and wanting to improve and get into that grand final level yeah it was obviously uh pretty disappointing at the time i mean obviously uh, the afl had to announce the all australian week after week one of the finals so it was obviously announced earlier so our rankings were ultimately done from the home and away season so it was obviously a huge buzz to win all australian but then ultimately 
you know, there was a lot of pressure that came with that. Um, and they've obviously since changed when they announced that. They now don't, don't announce that until after the grand final. And I, and I think that's a good thing. You know I mean, at the time, I was still quite young and just everyone. You know I mean, everyone was being very positive and supportive. Obviously, you win, win the All-Australian. But then what comes with that is that oh, naturally everyone's like, oh, well, you guaranteed the grand final, you know? And it, it just wasn't the case. I mean, there was still an umpired week one and then ultimately week two and then week three. And at the end of the day, I just didn't really umpire very well in week two and week three of the finals. Um, you know I mean, I just, I remember, I remember some things, you know, from that final series and it was just probably more around management thing. You know I mean, part of that, the, the biggest challenge of being a great umpire is managing a game of footy. And, I remember the prelim final of St Kilda and Hawthorne and Hawks were well ahead. I think it was 80 plus 90 points different against St Kilda. So the game was a little bit flat and I guess maybe I just dropped a bit of concentration and I remember Nick Rewalt, ball goes over the boundary line and they push him into the fence and I really didn't do anything. You know what I mean? So I think it was just things like that that at the end of the day I had really big learnings from about managing a game of footy. Um, and not dropping my concentration when the game might have got a bit one-sided. Um, and I guess, you know, from Roland Saws and Jeff Geeson's position at that point, you know, I know when they are picking the umpires to do the grand final, you know, they, they're like, want to pick the umpires that, one, are in good form, but ultimately, two, that they, they trust at the most. And at that time, clearly, they, I just wasn't ready to do a grand final, you know, so... It, I think, you know, looking back now, it was it was, it was hard to cop at the time, uh, but something that clearly um, made me more prepared for ultimately the following years. And, you know, I think I've been lucky enough to go on and do eight grand finals after that. So, um, yeah, it was something that, uh, yeah, it was tough at the time, but, yeah, a good learning curve. Yeah, it's a bit of a fair trade-off, isn't it? Miss one, get the next eight. <laughs> yeah, well, you said those um, that big blowout in the prelim made you lower your level a bit. Do you, are you one that thrives off the really close games and the big games and that big pressure? Yeah, I think I think I mean like I can ha- generally handle pressure pretty well. So I think just when it's a it's a close game, it's a great game. It's the game can tend also be easier to umpire. Yeah, you know, I mean the game flows a bit more when it's close, and um, players are playing on that edge when it's close because they don't want to give away free kicks. So, you know, I've been fortunate that a lot of the grand finals have been super close. Oh nine, Geelong and St Kilda was was super close, and there's a toe poke in the middle of the ground, and Geelong go ahead and kick a goal and pretty much win the game. And then 2010, super lucky. Obviously, there was a, there was a draw. St Kilda and Collingwood um, then got to do the replay the following week um, and then ultimately going on to do 2011 Geelong and Collingwood <laughs> stretching my memory Geelong and Collingwood here in 2011 2012 Hawthorne Sydney that was close um, 20 Hawthorne Freo 2013, I think. Hawthorne Freo, yeah. 2013, yeah. It wasn't super close, but Fremantle was still in, within touch, but just weren't kicking very well that day. Yeah, we had Hayden Ballantyne on recently. He said 15 points. 15 points at some point in the third quarter, and they just were missing shots. And But Hawthorne just always seemed to be in control, even though Fremantle were close enough. Uh, and then similar in 2015, Hawthorne West Coast, that was... Close enough to the West Coast, to just we're not Hawthorne was just too good on the day. So, uh, and then ultimately the last one, 2018 Collingwood, and uh, I dated myself out of one. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the, the last one, you know, Collingwood and West Coast was one of the classics. You know, so I've been fortunate to have yeah, really close grand final games also. Yeah, now, speaking of those close games, uh, what's your favourite game you've umpired been? Oh, Anzac Day is always probably one of the best days, best football days of the year to umpire on. Anzac Day, I mean, there's probably no better place to be when 
on the, on the MCG's pool and just everything that the day represents. Yeah, I'm a Dons fan. Jackson's a Collingwood fan. <laughs> there you enough. go. So you would have been to many of Anzac Day and, you know, it's a special football day. Um, and then ultimately after that, grand finals are obviously special day, but they're not really football days because the fans, there's a bit more corporate and there's a lot of people there that aren't really supporting either team because they just got tickets somehow. So prelim finals are always probably the, the next best day just because if you get a prelim final, it you know it doesn't matter where, you know, MCG or Adelaide Oval or New Optus or whatever, it's just always, there's so much at stake because the grand finals, the prelim finals are always, the, you know, the best games, the best games also. So speaking about the 2010 grand final, how did that feel to be part of one of only three draws in a grand final in the history? Yeah, well, obviously, you know, I mean, it was, the game's been on TV recently, just obviously with not much footy on. So <laughs> I watched the, the, the last few minutes just the other night and it's amazing just you, so many little things that could have gone either way and it ends up a draw and we, we, we walked off um, Sean Ryan, myself, and, and Ray Chamberlain, and we and we got in we got into the rooms and we looked at each other, and obviously it was all very numb because um, you know there was no song for either team, and and we get in the rooms and we look at each other and we're like, what's this really mean? And then it's like we're coming back next week, and I didn't didn't know whether to laugh or cry because <laughs> you know I guess the grand final was such a big build up, and that's like how end of season. And then it was like, okay, here we are. We've we've got to uh, come back again next week. And and Jeff Geeson and Ronald Saws came in the rooms and they said, you know, well done. We'd obviously umpired super well that day. And they're like, you're all going. You're umpiring again next week. And I guess the challenge we spoke about following that during the week was that geez, we'd umpired really well, and everyone was actually quite supportive and a lot of praise out in the media for the umpires during that drawn grand final, it was like, geez, we're, we might be on a hiding to nothing here. We're not sure we, we can actually go any better than we did we did on the weekend. So um, it was it was a mental challenge. You know, during the week, we were all pretty flat because, which is funny to say, but we were still flat. You know what I mean? Like trying to, okay, how are we going to get up for a game? Even though it was a grand final, it was like, geez, I wonder what the players are feeling like. And, I know I've had this conversation with Nick, Nick Maxwell and Lee Montagna, and they both were just, I think, internally saying that they were like, the other team has to be feeling the same way. We're just going to try and be better and get up and feel better emotionally and, and more into the game because it was a really draining experience, even for the umpires. And we don't win or lose a game, but it was a really draining emotional experience just being involved in a draw. Yeah, definitely a very strange experience, especially being a Collingwood fan. It was just like, what is going on? Honestly, in my own opinion, I would think that if there was extra time in that grand final, we wouldn't have won it because St Kilda were just all on top of us in that last quarter. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, so luckily for our sex, there was there was a second <laughs> grand final. But um, yeah, the replay, that must have been such a big honour to be, well, again, obviously picked. Um and yeah, so just does that compare to other grand finals? As in, like it's such a special occasion as it's a replay. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the replay in the end, it wasn't a very good game. It was a bit of a blowout straight away. Um, so I guess the, the buzz went out of that game pretty soon, from my memory, if I recall it right. Um, yeah, it was yeah. it was pretty much over by quarter time. Yeah, so that probably released a lot of the pressure. I, I do recall getting to maybe, you know, half time and Ray, Ray, um, and Sean and myself, I think we were all pretty relaxed compared to the previous week. I think we thought, okay, here we go. We just, this is going to be not an easy game, but it was, it clearly didn't have the same edge as it did the prior week and, uh, it was pretty much done. So now we don't have full time umpires in the AFL. Uh, what what do you do for a day job? Yeah, I'm finance manager at uh, Ticketmaster. So I'm pretty busy at the moment with all these cancellations and yeah. po- postponement events and managing the finance team to get all these refunds back to people. So it's pretty working from home at the moment, obviously, with the COVID virus. But, um, yeah, it's 
it's all very challenging. But yeah, they've been Ticketmaster's been a great supporter of me, um, and you know, really flexible with my football commitments. So they've been a great employer to allow me the flexibility to come and go and vary vary my working hours with training commitments or travel commitments with games. So I'm pretty lucky to have a, a such a supportive employer. Now, how do those how do those two jobs affect each other? Uh, I guess, yeah, I mean, some of the skills that I, I get from my umpiring transfer over, you know, dealing with conflict, you know, working in a high-performance environment out in the AFL and dealing with pressure and managing players. A lot of those things give you confidence to be able to, you know, mature as a, a person and some of them translate into your workplace and then I think some of them too, obviously, manage a team at Ticketmaster and so the skills can coexist from both both workplaces. Um, I mean, full-time umpires, you mentioned, I've always been against full-time umpires. Um, I just feel that having a, a balance of an outside interest or having a career outside or having a distraction outside is really important. And I feel like, you know, now where we are in this situation, I mean, it's, it just shows you the importance of not putting all your eggs in one basket because I've still got a full-time job and I'm still getting paid. But ultimately, as the umpires at the moment, we're in a, in a shutdown period and, and ultimately there's not many, not much money getting generated from, from the AFL. So it just shows that I think this, this will really kill off the debate for full-time umpires because uh, umpires need to have a bit more balance and, and a strong career outside so you took a break in 2017 in the mid-season how did that affect you like with your uh, mentality and outlook on life and your career yeah i think i think i was 18 years at that point and i wayne campbell was in charge at this point um i don't know i just felt like i was at that stage when i was I'm not sure I was lacking motivation or I just was like, I feel like I wanted some more balance in my life. And I approached, obviously, Wayne in the AFL and I was like, look, I want to go away mid-year. It hadn't really been done before. Um, but I, you know, I said, I think it was with a view that I wanted to umpire for another five plus years. So I think this would know, be the men- good mental stimulus that would help me achieve that and, and go on and umpire for another five plus years, which the AFL wanted me to keep umpiring. Um, and I just was like, okay, well, I had some friends going to Europe and I'd never done Europe summer. So you, you know, mentioned you asked me before about sacrifices. Well, you know, that's one thing that you know, umpiring or playing AFL footy is that you never get to go to Europe or travel during European summer. Now, again small things for some people, but at some point in your life, you, you, you do want to experience those kind of things. And so I took, uh, yeah, six weeks off and, um, and traveled away. And then, um, yeah, but, but that was, I was really appreciative of that opportunity. Cause I think, you know, I mean, I've always been keen traveler. Um, so yeah, it was, it was good to be able to do. So who are the, who are the best umpires or your favorite umpires to refer to umpire with? Yeah, I guess, I mean, I've, I've been really fortunate. You know, I mean, like, when I started in 2000, um, you know, I mean, again, for those umpiring people out there, they'll know these these names, you know, Brett Allen, Hayden Kennedy, Brian Sheehan, Darren Goldspink, Andrew Coates, David Howlett. Um, you know, I mean, I was super lucky, you know, all really experienced, great people, great uh, mentors, they all showed you the way as a young person um, and when I was in Perth again I was really fortunate there was Grant Vernon, Greg Scroop um, you know there was other senior waffle guys that didn't umpire AFL footy like Wayne French and, uh, and Simon Gill they were all great mentors and, and really good good, good trainers of us young kids at that time so I guess I was really fortunate to have such a good uh, development phase where we had really good umpires around Hopefully the young kids say that about me today, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> now you mentioned uh, you've been you're a big fan of travel. You've been to Barcelona with the umpire in New York, London, and you went to Ireland for the international rules. What do you make of that whole concept? Yeah, it's, um, 
we've been yeah really lucky. So we did a couple of development trips. We went uh, we went on a development trip to America. We went to New York and we with the AFL, all the field umpires, so about thirty five of us plus a couple of the coaches and Wayne Campbell at the time, and we had full access to the NBA, NFL, the ice hockey, um, the, the soccer refs. So we we went to the bunker, the NBA bunker, and all those kind of things. So we got to go on uh, MetLife Stadium on the NFL field. So we had full access with all the sports officials. So we went as a, it was a bit of a team-building exercise, but ultimately to try and learn from other elite sports officials around the world on that point we went to New York uh, that was a that was a pretty good junket going to New York in the off season um, and then a couple of years later we went to uh, London and we did the same stuff with EPL refs um, there was a tennis tournament on at the same time um, and a rugby rugby refs so we sort of looked at it from that point of view then we went to Normandy in France and we did, um, that was a bit more of a leadership type few days when we went to France and really looked into World War Two history and, and that, so that was an amazing opportunity to, to go to Normandy and walk on the beach um, and, and really do some great learning about the history and stuff like that because uh, so many deaths occurred on that on those beaches and landings. Um, and then we went through to Barcelona and started pre-season. So did a, did a big hike through the mountains of Barcelona and started our pre-season there. So, yeah, we've been pretty fortunate. Uh, Ireland. Ireland, I always describe Ireland as Saturday night every night of the week. The Irish, <laughs> the, the Irish like to drink. So, um, yeah, it was Ireland had been a couple of times prior. That trip that I went with the Australian senior team was unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, it was just a great experience. Jack Rewald, Adam Good, Dane Swan, you know, just to mention a few of the, you know, I mean, so travelling around with those guys and stuff like that was a great experience. And umpiring international rules is uh, super stressful. I think it's more stressful than umpiring AFL footy. And it's because... The Irish don't trust you. <laughs> they, the, Irish, the, the Irish and the Australian teams both think everyone's cheating. And the only two, pe- only two people that aren't cheating are the, are the two refs. But, uh, yeah, so trying to keep world peace between the two countries has always been a challenge during that series. But it's always been a great series to umpire and obviously a great experience to go away and umpire something a little bit different. Now, I've always had this image in my mind, an umpire overseas, like let's say Barcelona, uh, you're at the Camp Nou watching a Barcelona football game. Messi comes up to you after the game. Mate, do you want me to sign your shirt? You're like, no, thanks. I'll get the umpire. So do you do you um, take more notice of the officials in other sports, not just AFL? Yeah, I think naturally I think that that, that does happen. You know, even watching AFL footy now, it's hard not to watch the umpires and see what they're doing naturally because it's just so ingrained in my head. I do, you know, watch other sport, and I guess I probably do gravitate watching about the other umpires, seeing what they do also. Uh, but I can still just watch sport and, uh, yeah, and try and block out the umpires. But I think you're right. I think naturally you're probably a little bit more wired to be... I'm not saying that I'm an expert in other sports officials, but you do watch them to see, you know, maybe their body language. Can you learn something from them or... You, when they're mic'd up, so the NRL refs or something like that, is there, is there phrases or terms that they use that could, we could transfer to, to how we manage a game of footy? So you did mention before you went on tours in Ireland with some of the greatest players and Adam Goods, obviously, Jack Rewald, Alan Didak, Chris Judd. Who are some of the, your favourite players to watch? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, twenty-one years. I've chewed through a few, 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 few different players. Outlasted most of them. Yeah. So I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, you can say, you know, Buddy Franklin's obviously a very special player to be able to umpire, and then you know, was umpiring of the day, kicked fourteen down in Hobart. So you know, when when a player is in that in that hot spot and you're out there umpiring, it's a pretty lucky place to be umpiring and be able to. 
just pretty much watch it and pay marks to him, pretty much. Um, but I've been lucky enough to umpire Kerry and Jakovic. Um, so you can go back to those days, Kerry and Jakovic. That was always an amazing contest. Um, you know, Chris Judd. You know, I mean, I was, again, mentioned watching some of the old games before and uh, there was an old final on TV the other day and it was Adelaide and Brisbane 2003. It was my second final. Uh, and, you know, just watching that briefly for a quarter. And you had Black, Pat Manus, Boss, you had Simon Goodwin. <laughs> I mean, like the Andrew McLeod, the players that were playing in those games were just unbelievable, their skills and so on. So, um, you know, there's still players today, but I, I don't know. There's been so many. Um, so I guess any given player on their day when they're absolutely turning it on or kicking heaps of goals or just having one of those days where they're just absolutely on fire is always a pleasure to be able to, be able to umpire them. Hey, guys, make sure you recommend us to all your mates out there because that's how podcasts get found. If you recommend us to all your mates, leave us a five-star review wherever you can. Recommend them. We're on Spotify. We're on all your normal podcasting apps. So give us a shout-out. Much appreciated. Now, you've umpired some of the biggest names in some of the biggest games, and we've got a little audio grab of a famous little decision you've made. That uh, famous supposed shepherd in the 2018 Grand Final, is that the past decision you asked most about? Uh, depends who it's from. Probably from Collingwood supporters, <laughs> yes. But uh, anyone else thought it was all right. So I guess it, you know, I mean, it just depends on how you watch a game of footy. And, you know, I'm sure if I'd paid that, that free kick, there would have been just as many people complaining the other way that it wasn't a free kick. So. Definitely one of those decisions that falls in the grey zone. Uh, sometimes we pay them, sometimes we let them go. Um, you know, umpiring AFL footy isn't isn't black and white. Um, you know, sometimes there is a bit of grey and sometimes there is a bit of uh, interpretation or there is a lot of interpretation and a lot of our decision-making. So um, I've never been too technical as an umpire, if I can say something like that. So, yeah, one of those decisions that um, you you were five goals up. Don't blame me. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I don't. I've, I, I, I haven't watched the game back, but, like, realistically, I knew we were five goals up, but then West Coast came out. It's just we couldn't keep up. Oh. No, it, was, it was a good game. Oh, one of the best, definitely. Now, did you make that... Uh, Rioli Shepherd decision straight away, or was did you have to think about it a bit in the heat of the moment? No, I think as I said, mentioned, I'm buying very instinctive. You either make a call or you don't. You know what I mean? AFL footy happens so fast and, and so quick. You don't have time to just sit there and think about something. You, I'm buying very instinctive. Either you think it's a block, you think it's a high tackle, you think it's a handball, and you and you react either play on either blow your whistle or whatever. So, yeah, umpiring is very instinctive. And that's where I think at times you don't have time to factor in anything else. It's just very instinctive. It is, your brain is processing so many things at different stages. You either just blow the whistle or you don't. So how long do you think you'll keep umpiring for? Uh, not sure. I mean, this is obviously uh, uncharted territory at the moment where we're at with, with life and the world and coronavirus uh so hopefully we can get back playing footy this year um i, I probably was thinking i was probably only really one or two one or two more years left in me but uh, my body's pretty good um mentally i'm still enjoying the challenge um so i guess it'll just be a year by year enjoyment factor at this stage i think where i keep continuing or not if i'm uh if my fitness and my body holds up. Yeah, and recently you became the president of the Umpires Association. What's involved with that? Yeah, so obviously I've been a supporter and a member of the Umpires Association for a long period of time and uh, the president role came up and it was something that I hadn't done before and 
something I'm pretty passionate about. And, um, it's been a pretty busy time. We've hopefully wrapped up an old CBA negotiation, but we had our long-standing CEO Peter Howe retire. So part of part of the role was you know leading the executive through um, to replace the CEO. Um, so we've just obviously had Rob Kerr start in the role. Very excited to get some someone like Rob's experience, being the former. He used to be the CEO of the Players Association back in the early 2000s. So um, I think we're in good hands with someone like Robin in the role. Um, yeah, so we obviously represent all the umpires. It's about you know making sure we've got good programs in place for all the members across Australia. Um, and and just, yeah, the AFL is pretty good. The relationship's very, very good, positive. So... There's not a lot of big workplace issues that need to be worked through, but at the moment we've uh, just had to go through renegotiating a pay deal for the rest of this year, so that's something that's been heavily involved with the AFL um, that comes in with that role of being president. So hopefully we can get back to playing footy and there's not too many more of these off-field things we're going to deal with. Now, we don't get umpires in the media too much, so we don't know too much about the little intricacies of what you guys do? Do you, how often do you train? Do you have team talks at half time? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I guess anyone that sort of comes into our group is like, oh, you guys are just like a football club. You know what I mean? Like, there's banter, everyone hang, hangs shit on each other. Um, it's it's a real fun place to be. Everyone's really supportive. It is one big team. Ultimately, umpiring. You know, we are three field umpires. We're four boundary umpires. We're two goal umpires, well, ultimately a team that goes out there and we need to support each other and, and help each other to get the best result on the day. But, yeah, training, uh, well, at the moment we're, we're not training. We're just all remote doing our own thing. Uh, but during the season, we've just committed to doing a, a half day on a Tuesday for the field umpiring group. So that's been something that has only come in this year. So we'll see whether that remains. Um, but prior to that, it used to be training after hours, twice a week, uh, and then just doing your own sessions outside of the, the, the game commitments or the travel commitments. So it's, um, it's, not, it's not too crazy, but it, it, it's a lifestyle choice as opposed to being massively at a football club Monday to Friday, five days a week. So you mentioned before starting pre-season in Barcelona. What does preseason entail for an umpire? Yeah, so we, we go back same time as the players in November, um, and we do a big block between early November through to Christmas. Um, so that time is just a lot of building that base, aerobic base, a lot of K's. Someone probably run about uh, fifty to seventy kilometres a week uh, in the preseason stage, and then we start doing a lot more club visits, going out to the clubs practicing, just umpiring mini little games that they have internally and, and that's one way we get some good practice in pre-season by umpiring the club visit. Um, so yeah, because it's, it's hard to replicate match skills at umpire training. When you've got 40 umpires trying to kick a footy, uh, our skills are not exactly uh, top, top quality and trying to replicate marking contests and so on like that is very difficult. So the best, best training for us is to go out to the clubs and practice out of the clubs. Now, lots of people might recognise you for often doing the opening bounce in games, including lots of grand finals. What do you make of the whole bounce rule? And do you agree with it? Yeah, so I guess um, I've been yes and no, depending on whatever. I guess it's a, it's a long tradition for the game. Um, I'm not too phased whether it stays or goes, to be honest. Um, I know as I've got older, you know, or when you don't have to bounce, you recover, your body recovers so much better. So, you know, if I was wanting to keep umpiring, then, you know, like it's it's less stress on my body. Uh, and the other challenging thing is that a lot of the junior regions and state leagues are not really bouncing these days. So it is making it harder to recruit umpires that are really good bouncers because they don't practice it um, like we did when we were juniors. Umpires, we bounced everywhere, but now it's uh, it's really only the AFL and a couple of state leagues that bounce. So that is becoming uh, a challenge. Uh, but yeah, you know, I don't mind it. Um, but at the same time, if it was to go, I know that I, I wouldn't lose any sleep over it. 
So AFL being one of the most um, interchangeable games and changing rules every year sort of thing, like bringing in something for taking something out, how does that affect umpires? Like, do you have to massively read up on the rules before the season and try and get them right right before the season? Or is it sort of a, they'll bring it in and you have a few weeks to get it 100% right? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. I mean, I think at times a lot of rules come in and we always have a lot of questions about, okay, well, how, what about the interpretation for this? You know, I mean, again, as I said, not everything is black and white. Um, you know, hands in the back came in and then hands in the back's gone out. So now it's like, okay, well, trying to work out where the line is for what is a push in the back or what's just hands in the back and so on like that. So there's always going to be that adjustment. Um, we always have some good input with the AFL, trying to get as much clarity as we can. Our coaches show as much vision to us as possible um, when there's any new changes, you know. But as umpires, we just had to have to adapt, you know, have to adapt to the rule changes that have occurred. Um, that game that I mentioned, 2003 Adelaide-Brisbane, that was on TV the other night. I was talking uh, Hayden Kennedy, our current coach. He was watching with me and he wrote down 30 changes of the rules from 2003 that uh, back then there's umpiring rule changes or things that we now don't do. You know, in that game, there must have been about 10 missed deliberate out of bounds and no one even mentioned deliberate out of bounds in the commentary. And now, you know, now there's such a, uh, you know, contentious, you know, interpretation or everyone can debate what is intentional or or it's now not even intentional. It's, you know, you showed insufficient intent, intent to keep the ball in. So, you know, there's just always different levels we've got to adjust to over the years. But, you know, obviously back in 2003, 30 differences to now, it's, um, <laughs> it's something that you sort of think, wow, that's a lot of changes over the years. Did the, does the AFL refer to you guys at all before they changed the rules? Yeah, I guess there's always working parties and we provide feedback on rules at the end of every year or sometimes we identify things in the rules that, or our interpretations that are not exactly matching up with certain aspects of the rules so we get those realigned or clarified and so on like that. So, yeah, it's a it, pretty um, inclusive um, you know, inclusive working group with the AFL to make the rules as simple as we want. That's what we always try and do is try and how do we make the rules simple? How do we make them easier to umpire, easier to interpret, not just for us? How do we make them easier for everyone to understand it? How, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, Are there any rule change suggestions that you think might be good? No rule changes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, yeah, we're just there again. The game, the game evolves. The coaches always come up with something new, and um, yeah, I guess yeah, if we can make it less technical and less interpretive, that will hopefully make it you know easier for everyone to understand, especially around holding the ball at times and and things like that. Now, speaking of rule changes, at the end of every show, we like to do a little quiz. Five questions. Uh, so you're going to be going up against Jackson. Uh, okay. <laughs> five questions on just the history of rule changes in the AFL. Uh, so your name is your buzzer. Just buzz in with Brett or Jackson. And yeah, here we go. Question one. In 1858, there was no time limit for matches. The first team to how many goals won the game? Jackson. Jackson. 24. 24, not even close. Oh. You're way off. Higher or lower? It's lower. Lower. Okay, Brett. Brett. Ten. No, it's two. Two? <laughs> yeah, two goals. Wow. Um, yeah. So, okay, question two. This one's just closest to the pin, yeah. So whoever gets closest just gets the point. Uh, in what year were matches changed from two 50-minute halves to four 25-minute quarters? Brett, 30s. Can you give me a specific year? Oh, 1932. Jackson, what do you reckon? Um, 1937. Oh, Brett's closest. It's 1886. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. he's lucky to get the point, but it's one deal, Brett. Uh, question three. 
What major rule that we still see today was added in 1969? Massive part of the game. Jackson. Jackson. Uh, Ford 50s were introduced. No. Uh, the, the mark? Nah, not the mark. I'll give you a clue so you can both come in again. It's got something to do with uh, disposals. What happens after a disposal? Oh, is it hand pass? No. Okay. I have no idea either. Got to buzz you out there. It's out on the full, resulting in a free kick. Ah. So that only came in in 69, which is Ah, funny. Last touch, was it? Yeah, okay, there you go. Yeah. Uh, Okay, question four, second last one. In 2002, the minimum distance of ball travel for a mark increased from what to 15? How many metres to 15? Brett. Brett. 10 metres to 15. 10 metres to 15, correct. Brett's 2-0 up. Okay, last Surely question. make this one double points. <laughs> Triple points. <laughs> this is a bit of an easy one, so I don't think I could do that. Um, Brett will know this, I think. What year was the substitute rule brought in? Brett, um, say 2015. 2015, no. Uh, 2011? 2011? Yes. One point, Jackson. He's redeemed himself a bit, but Brett still won it 2-1. <laughs> well done, Brett. No worries, what's my prize? <laughs> yeah, we'll send it out to you straight away. <laughs> well, I think that just about wraps us up. Anything else, Jackson? No, um, thank you so much for coming on, Brett. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks. No, no worries, guys. Thanks very much for having me. Cheers. See ya. Jackson, how good was that? Oh, it was pretty great. Very, very insightful to hear from an, an AFL umpire, like a current one. It was very great to hear. Now, Brett Rosebury has umpired the third most grand finals ever of any umpire, eight. Uh, what are your favourite grand final memories from the modern era? Well, obviously, one big one is the 2010 grand final. Collingwood winning. Big, like, I'm myself, I'm a big Collingwood fan. Um, being there was extra special. Being at both was a great experience. Being part of one, one of only three ever drawn grand finals and the last one. Um, is a big thing and winning obviously not a great game as Brett mentioned in the interview but obviously a big memory for me um, as a Collingwood fan yeah obviously I haven't had any Essendon ones to <laughs> talk about but I've got to say Dom Sheed kicking that goal right at the end in 2018 that was like, pretty good. like that one it's an amazing grand final like if I was a neutral an amazing grand final just my team having to be on the wrong side of that, but it's that golf. I may, I haven't watched it back because I don't really want to break the memories up. Actually, I've only really seen it in the Collingwood documentary they put on the whole 2018 season. They sort of play that moment and just, but seeing it, what a goal. Like any other game, any other grand final, seeing that sort of goal in the last few minutes, like one of the greatest goals. Yeah, on the boundary from 45, it's oh. just insane insane really. yeah and well I don't really remember this too well it was when I was two years old but Leo Barry oh you star 2005 yeah <laughs> well what else have we got we've got um. well Hawth- obviously the Hawthorne three-peat not liking Haw- that, not, but- <laughs> not liking Hawthorne too much but obviously what a great team they were at yeah. that point um, 2008 was a big one I, yeah, re- I, I don't really remember, remember too well but- I really remember Geelong coming in that year being like the best. They'd lost one game, I think. They'd lost. Season. They'd lost minimal games in the last two seasons. Even mm-hmm. the 2007 season where they smashed Port in the granny, but and like the premiership either side of exactly. So just the whole era of Geelong and Hawthorne with the Collingwood one in between there, but just that whole era was fantastic to watch, especially like Geelong. Geelong was just fantastic, and just the fact that they bounced back every other year was. They could have been a dynasty, but just the fact that they actually went the three over five years, it's still a big thing. Mm, and I remember last year, the build-up around GWS, that was really exciting. The build-up was fantastic. But what the game, actually happened wasn't great. <laughs> the game was a bit of a letdown, really. Um, what I, else? I definitely think the best one in the last few years has been the Bulldogs. Just oh, the whole story. It's yeah. just amazing. Well, people say the game was really amazing, but I don't... I wasn't super entertained by the game, but the whole, just the story was just... Oh, the story was amazing. The game was okay. Like, yeah, as, it wasn't as a, a shit As game. a neutral, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad game. It was just 
two teams that were sort of evenly matched, but the Bulldogs took it out in the end. It was just a great mm. story. It, yeah, it was really close. Um, I remember being pretty excited, but obviously you got the draw and grand final. That was, I remember watching that was just insane. And you were there. Yeah, so. it was, uh, I think I was on the end where Stevie Mullen hit that point oh. right at the end. Like, hairs in the back of your neck rising up like, oh no, it bounced the wrong way. Oh my God. Oh, so, so close. Um, but yeah, big grand final. It's just such a huge moment in, in the AFL season. Obviously, it's the, it's the last game. It's the ultimate game. It's where everyone wants to get to. Um, it's just great that we celebrate it so much. I'm a big fan of it. I love it. I love grand the final whole build week. Up, the parade, everything like that. The, you've got the Brownlow um, on the Monday of the uh, week. The whole build up. Like, oh, and we also, we almost forgot Richmond back like two, like three, three and two, uh, two and three years. Sorry. Um, but that 2017 one, that was just a, such a great story as well. They were a great team, but they, they were bloody great. annoying. They're very annoying. <laughs> yeah. But I like, I hate to, I hate to mention it, but they are a great team. That 2017 team, un, like, Probably the underdog in that game against a great Adelaide side, but just the way they came out and and took the game by the horns and Dusty was immense that day. What a footballer, hey? Yeah, insane. Well, we we're going to talk about our favourite umpires and officials and judges, but we don't really know any other than Brett and Razor Ray and Judge Judy. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, well, I think we'll just leave it there. Yeah. That's all we've got for Grand Finals. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for tuning in. We've got... a big 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 guest next episode so make sure you tune to that it's gonna be good isn't it jackson yeah it should be great yeah well we'll see you next time see ya